Next, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen for the word of God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they were filled to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Kind of wish I was at that wedding. Well, a few years back, well, maybe more than a few, my elder daughter, Drea, was about 14 or 15. It was time, at least from my perspective, that she get herself a part-time job, something other than, you know, the maybe sometimes babysitting gig, something so that she could earn some spending money. I didn't think anything serious, but something, something that would allow her not only to have spending money, but maybe to gain some sense of self, some way to test her wings in the world, some way to try out the venues that were out there, the opportunities to get a feel of what it would be like working in society and all that that entails. It wasn't happening. Maybe some of you have experienced that, either as the parent or as a kid. The suggestions, the recommendations, the guidance, the advice, mm, it wasn't working. The nudge needed a little more oomph to it. Somehow, as this somewhat almost Jewish mother that I am, now, I say that because my paternal grandparents were Orthodox Jews. My father, not so much, especially after he married my Protestant mother. Yeah, you get it. I was able to persuade Drea to at least get a few applications from some of the local establishments. Among them, a florist. Drea loved gardening and flowers, and she still does. Then I thought, well, maybe that small fabric decorating store down the way. 
why I was really good with colors and designs, and still is. And then I thought, well, I know that there's a woman's clothing store. Now, what teenager doesn't like clothes? So I figured at least those three we could try and stop at. Then, even with her typical, maybe unique, reluctance, she was a teenager after all, she and I got in the car, and I drove up one side and down the other side of the main road that was in our small town, letting her out at each place that we thought might be an opportunity. She would get out of the car a little hesitant, and I offered her words of encouragement and support and a little bit of counsel. It all paid off. P-A-Y-E-D, she got a job. P-A-I-D, she had some spending money of her own. Nudges work, even if you have to have a little oomph behind them. Everyone we know needs a nudge now and again. Can you think of a time when someone nudged you? Think about it. There's got to be at least once in your life that you needed the old kick in the boot, right? Get out there and do something. Find your strengths. Find your calling. Find your vocation. Find who you are as God has created you to be. Or at least give it a shot. Most of us at some time in our lives, need a good nudge. Jesus' first miracle, Jesus' first act, or as it's called in John's gospel, a sign. His first sign was the beginning of his ministry. And this occurs, as we are told, at a wedding, at a feast. And this story is unique to John's gospel. It's not in any other. It is Mary, Jesus' mother, who initiates this sign. She is the force behind the miracle. The Jewish mother is at work once again. Mary, whose name actually is never, ever written in John's gospel, is there nudging her son. Can you picture the scene? Think about it. Like the person who's very observant, she notices the wine is gone. So she's given Jesus a look. Have any of you ever gotten that look from somebody? Yeah. So after the look comes what? This conversation, those words. I have this image of Jesus' mom, sort of beckoning, encouraging, sort of like my, you might do with a child just getting on the school bus for the first time. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. Get out there and do it. Get on the bus. That's Mary. But I also wonder, what was really going through her mind? What was she really thinking? What was she really sensing? What had 
Jesus revealed to her? What had she felt from that holy presence? What might cause her to believe that Jesus actually could do this? How did she know this was the time for Jesus' revelation to the world, an event of epiphany? You know, it's more than just poignant that the mother of Jesus brackets his life, surrounds Jesus' earthly ministry at the very beginning, at his birth, and now at his first sign, the first miracle. And then, as we know, at the cross, as he dies, Mary is there. Mary is the nurturing force when he is the word made flesh. Mary has shared the parenthood with God in some way. Jesus remarks to Mary, you may think I'm a little bit rough. You may think it's a little crude or rude, or maybe you think it's more like a teenager even though he was 30. But not necessarily so, folks. If one studies Scripture and one gets familiar with the nuances of how Jesus speaks and Mary acts, it's a typical conversation between a Jewish mother, one who is giving her adult son a nudge without actually saying or telling him what to do. She's just laying something out there. You've heard of the old Jewish guilt, right? A need that needs to be met, and knowing that her son can meet that need. He, on the other hand, is asserting his adulthood, his own individuation. Yet this turns out to be a win-win-win situation. Everyone wins. The wine flows. The wedding is saved, the bride and groom save face, the guests are fortified way beyond their imagination and maybe even way beyond what they can stand, literally. All is well with the world, well, their particular world. All that from a nudge. Mothers are often that force in the world, in society, maybe even in our own lives. You've heard of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Maybe some of you have even heard of Mothers Against Guns and Violence. And of course, there have been many other organizations founded by mothers, women, who have nudged our society in one way or another. A huge influence in our world. And of course, if you think of mother, how can you not think of Mother Earth or Mother Church? And of course, there is Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom we know our sisters and brothers in the Catholic persuasion of faith pray to. All of these play a huge part in the life of this world, in the life of religion. We know Mother Nature is calling to us with a loud and anxious voice these days, we also know that Mother Church is wailing. We see it in our empty pews. We hear it 
in our conflicted congregations and the dialogue. We notice it even amongst the denominations, even in their own unique faith stances, along with our confused understandings of how best do we respond to all of this? How best do we handle these challenges, these discourses? How do we move forward? You get the point? I'm sure you do. There's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of nudging that needs to happen because we aren't sure which way do we go. And no, it doesn't have to be a real mother. It doesn't even have to be a female to do the nudging. It isn't Mother's Day, so we can talk about some men maybe. Everyone needs nudges and everyone can give nudges. It's just to act in the best way we possibly can. The best is the interest of all. The best is responding to God's call of how we individually are to be. To act and speak authoritatively in what way will get the best done. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday. We get to stand on the mountaintop once again, reminded of the promises, reminded of the hopes, reminded of the dreams that he and so many other people had many, many years ago. Reading that second chapter of John's Gospel, our passage for today, we hear similar promises. We hear similar hopes. And we hear similar dreams. Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana. Promises unfulfilled. Hopes that are dashed. Dreams that look like they're going to be shattered. A young couple at the highest moment of their lives, starting out together in love, in joy. And that all of a sudden seems to be elusive with the disappearance of the wine. There's a shortage, and one person takes note. Not only was this a case for social embarrassment if it had totally run out, but it was a symbol and a sign of what might yet come. For to run out of wine at a wedding, hmm, not a good thing. It's an omen that there's little chance of this marriage to survive healthily, joyfully. Promises barely made at the altar, but already unfulfilled. We could say the same thing about a lot in life right now. We've promised as Christians to be stewards of our earth, to love one another. How's that happening? We could say the same, couldn't we? Promises unfulfilled, hopes shattered. Not just for our church, but how about for our country? How about for our world? We take a look at race relations all over this world. Religious persuasions, 
How about the division of wealth, opportunity, education? We could say a lot about how we as church folk, as citizens, as humankind, can really still address much of what Martin Luther King Jr. lived and died for. So how can we invite people who we fear, maybe who we even hate, or who fear and hate us to sit down at a common table, to sit down at that table and begin to lead the world in beating spears into plowshares and swords into pruning forks? How can we do that? Can we, without our own desire of outcome, with our, without our own ego out there, but with the desire of God, can we listen before we speak? Can we act out of love and compassion? Can we be kindness and caring in the world? If we truly believe what we profess, those vows we took, those covenants we have made, if we truly believe all of that, that there is a God, the divine, the sacred, in all creation, in everything that is, then surely we can at least find some unity in our diversity without derision in our division. We can find unity in diversity without derision in our division. How do we live out the divine power? How do we live out that sacred that we know is within each of us when we address heated issues, when we share conflicted opinions? What are we being nudged to do? Do we sit with God as our guide? You know, my first calling in ministry wasn't to pastoral ministry. It was one that continues throughout my pastoral ministry, but it's one that I really rely on. Spiritual counseling, spiritual direction, spiritual guidance. I sit with those discerning for themselves what their particular nudge is at that particular time. I sit with those who are wanting to hear that still, small voice whispering to their hearts. And I sit with the one who is the source of the nudge of everything. Maybe that is where Mary got her nudge. Remember, she did partner with God with spirit, in the parenthood and genesis of Jesus, most likely that is where the nudge to nudge Jesus originated from. So when the wine runs out, Jesus' mother holds him responsible. Why, we might wonder. Did she think that his disciples that had descended upon this wedding, perhaps uninvited, had drunk too much of it? The wine shortage is their fault. Place the blame, point the finger. Oops, I 
maybe it's Jesus' fault. Maybe he had too much wine to drink too. Or maybe it's his fault because he invited all these people. Whichever someone somehow had drunk the wine because it's all gone. Was Mary perhaps so impatient for Jesus to dazzle everyone, those around him, with his divinity? To get on with it, to be the Messiah. But surely this couldn't be the public unveiling of Jesus that Mary had dreamed of. She was the one who sung the songs about him pulling the mighty down from their thrones. She was the one who had sung the songs about Jesus filling the hungry with good things. And she was the one who knew that Jesus could send the rich away empty. But perhaps Mary did, in fact, want Jesus to start his self-revelation, to start his ministry at this wedding. What better time? It's a celebration, for Pete's sake. It's fun. Let's do it here. Let's do it now. Maybe she really did want him to begin his mighty deeds with an act of filling the hungry. Filling the hungry with good wine. Good wine, which has all sorts of symbolism, doesn't it? Maybe the inviting of friends and family to witness this joy that these two blessed people had vowed together was the hope of the future. Maybe this was the occasion for Jesus to offer the miracle, the sign that would begin his ministry. A sign that changes no more into more than enough, not enough into the very best of all things that ever could be. It was the best wine. Perhaps we do Jesus an injustice by not believing he really enjoyed a good time, celebrations and festivities. Perhaps we do him an injustice to think that he really doesn't want us to live to our fullest. Perhaps we do him an injustice when we don't think he's capable of still nudging us. At Cana, we learn at least, in the very least, that he believed we should all be children of God and be the best that we can be all given because of a nudge. So you, my dear friends, each and every one of you, are invited over and over again in every moment of every day to get your nudge on. Get it on. Be open to it. Be receptive of it from the source of all that is. Blessings upon you and your nudge. Amen. Amen.